Uh, back at the start of 2018, um, you all remember everything that I said back then, right? That's, that's, that's a given. So, uh, I spoke on the topic of fasting, and that is what we're going to be looking at again this morning. Uh, but right at the start, before I go any further, and I've only said about 20 words, uh, I want to admit something to you. Uh, since then, uh, fasting it hasn't been a part of my regular personal worship. As I prepared at the start of 2018 for that sermon, I felt convinced that fasting was a good thing for us to do personally and corporately, sorry, corporately, and that it is something that Jesus expects of us. And we'll go into why that's the case a bit later on. But for some reason, even though I've spoken on it, I felt convicted of it. It's not something that I've really engaged with. As a church, since then, we've done some week-long times of prayer, and in there we've encouraged you to consider fasting, and, uh, but I think that's pretty much as far as I have gone with it. And so my reflection um, over this past week, as I have looked into this again, is probably actually one of disappointment, and one where I understand there's an opportunity for um, me to do better in something, so that God will ultimately be glorified and my walk with him will be strengthened. So I just wanted to say that to be absolutely honest with you. I don't feel I can speak on something like this that I've spoken on and not just confess that at the start. Um, and so I think for me, this, this week has been a time where I've looked to deepen my understanding and to examine my own heart of why that has happened over the last few years and then to look into how fasting can actually become a helpful part of my life and a helpful rhythm that I get into. Over the years, I think some parts of the global church have seen fasting that is something that is obsolete, something that is outdated, and something that we no longer need to do. We've seen how over the years fasting has been abused, and in medieval times, it was taught as like penance. Uh, and so we've been put off considering engaging with it as we've seen those abuses over the years. We've maybe viewed uh, fasting as a Christian form of hunger strike uh, and a way of where we can twist the arm of God. Or we've seen it as something that is done religiously to the point of where it's maybe lost its meaning. John Wesley argued that the devil doesn't mind if we disregard it or lose the point in it, just as long as we fail to grasp why God calls his people to fast before him. The why is all so important, and it is something that we'll look into this morning. If we understand more of the why behind it, we'll consider making it a part of our regular worship. Even kind of when Mike said right at the start that Scott was speaking on fasting, it was a pretty quiet response. <laughs> and so, but my hope is at the end of our time together, if Mike was to say it again, that we would have a lot more enthusiasm behind the idea of fasting. Personally, I long to get to a point where I truly understand that why. A couple of weeks before Christmas, I had a coffee with another pastor from a church in Aberdeen. And during that time, he was explaining a really tough situation that um, was going on in his church. And he very naturally just spoke about part of his response in it was how he fasted. It wasn't a big church-wide event. 
It wasn't something that was organized, but simply as he sought God's guidance and he worshiped God through this tough time, he fasted. I must have spent about two and a half hours with him. And in all the things that we spoke about in that time, how naturally he spoke about fasting was what I remember most about that conversation. The sermon series that we're in at the moment is called Means of Grace. And so when I first saw this sermon series on the schedule, uh, and so it's a four-part that we're doing, and so we're looking at scripture, prayer, fasting, and gathering. And when I saw it, I actually said this to Dan, so it's another confession coming here. I was just like, oh, wow, fasting. I'm not too sure that would have been one of my four in there. And maybe that's your response to it as well, but the more and more I've looked into it this week, the more I'm convinced that fasting is a gift from God. So throughout our time this morning, I'm going to continually ask the question, how is fasting a means of grace? And I hope together we can see how this can lead us closer to God. Fasting comes up 132 times in the Bible. I don't know if that's roughly what you expected, more or less, but I think it was probably a few more than I had expected. And that in itself, I think, 132 times should say something to us. Throughout the Old and the New Testament, we find God's people fasting. And although we don't find a command that says, thou shalt fast on the 10th day of every month, Jesus does speak in a way that shows a level of expectation. And so Mike, um, he uh, read from us from Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus' words in there are not, if you fast, but his words are, when you fast. Jesus expects us to be doing this. And he is speaking of this in the same breath as teaching on how to pray and how to give. Now, praying and giving, there are probably two practices that are probably, I'm, I'm saying probably, are regular in our lives. There might be something that you do hourly or daily, weekly or monthly. They might be things that you struggle with, yes, but I'm sure they are present in your life. Jesus, later in Matthew chapter 9, when asked about fasting, says, the, says that his disciples will fast when he has gone. And so it's something that we need to grapple with, and hopefully we will do that today. We see fasting uh, happen right at the start of Jesus' ministry, as he spends 40 days in the desert. We see Paul and Barnabas fasting in Acts 13, and we read that as well, as they set out on a historic journey that took the gospel to the Gentiles. And again in Acts 14, when elders are appointed in the church, and we'll look at those examples a little bit later on. Nehemiah speaks of fasting. The book of Esther does, the book of Judges, Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, Daniel. David speaks of fasting in the Psalms, and you can read quite a bit of fasting in Isaiah as well. Fasting is something that is consistent in Scripture, and it is consistently spoken of positively. So what is fasting? Here is what John Piper says of it. He says, fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, 
namely God and his work in our lives. I'll read that again because there's quite a bit in there. Fasting is a temporary renunciation of something that is in itself good, like food, in order to intensify our expression of need for something greater, namely God and his work in our lives. And Sam Storms, um, he's a pastor in the States, he's written quite a bit on fasting as well. He says, it's about satisfying yourself in God. So we'll look deeper into it now. Uh, And as I mentioned a few moments ago, I'm going to continually ask the question, how is fasting a means of grace? So firstly, how is fasting a means of grace? Because it gives us time to intensely pursue God. Over the years, sports stars have radically changed their approach to how they have prepared for their chosen sport. So if you go back 40 years ago, and maybe for some teams, maybe not even so far back, uh, pre-match they would meet together for a pie and a pint. Uh, and so I remember watching uh, um, some like Scottish football stuff from the 80s and 90s, and it was quite eye-opening. But nowadays, every calorie that sports stars consume is carefully managed by a specialist. It seems to me that sports people give up so much to do what they do. Their meals are strictly regulated, as is their sleep. They've got these, um, I guess, regulated training sessions, gym sessions. There's time with their family, time with sponsors, time doing charity events. There's time with doctors, there's physios, and there's specialists. And their calendar is continually dominated by the next tournament or the next match. The discipline and sacrifice that is required to get to the top is often what stops many from getting there. I remember watching, um, some of you will know, the, the class of 92. So there's the, uh, the, the six or seven young guys from Man, uh, from Man United. So you've got your David Beckham, your Gary Neville. Um, and so they did, a, um, I guess, a documentary on them. And so, but they also spoke to everyone else who was in that youth team who didn't make it. And so many of them spoke in that time of how they just didn't have the dedication that the rest of them had to get to the top. It seems like the, well, it seems to us, I don't know if it does to them, but it seems that they have to give up so much to get there. But at the same time, I rarely hear them complain about it. And I think it's because their intense pursuit is of something far bigger and far better than anything that they may give up. Fasting is an intense pursuit of God. It's about setting aside some time. If that's a day, a few days, or a week. I actually heard of a church in Aberdeen who at the start of every year do 50 days of fasting. I'm not suggesting you jump in there, folks. Don't worry. But it's time to focus on God in a much deeper way than is done regularly. And it should look different to what happens in our regular day-to-day. Fasting is about feasting on God. And pushing all other things in life to a side in our utter desperation to be with him. To spend time with him and to glorify him. Dallas Willard comments that fasting is indeed feasting. When we have learned well to fast, we will not suffer from it. It will bring strength and joy. So as we consider fasting, it's very important to think about how you will spend that time. 
when you are preparing a feast or just even consider the prep that went into your Christmas dinner last year. It can often take time to consider when it will happen, what you will need to do beforehand, the timings of it, what you're going to have, what it will look like. And fasting is no different. You don't want to spend a day just trying not to eat or focusing on abstaining from something as that is just a negative focus. Remember the first time um, that I did fasting. And in all honesty, that was probably my focus. It was just like, my, my stomach is hungry. How can I cheat my way through this? And so I remember, it was when I was working for Aberdeen Asset, uh, and it's when myself and, and Rachel were part of City Church. And, um, oh man, this is, this is awful to admit this, but uh, at lunchtime, I went and got like a venti hot chocolate. I'm not too sure that was really part of it. But I'm not too sure my focus was right on it. I wasn't focusing on how I could feast on God at that time. We need to make sure that fasting continually has a positive focus of how we can get to know him better. As all feasts are, your fast, it should be indulgent. I'll let you into a bit of a a secret of how Rachel and I have done Christmas, our Christmas dinner, over the last few years. Uh, So from January to December time, we save up nectar points. If some of you who will know me well, you'll have heard me speak passionately about nectar points. Uh, And so throughout those 12 months, uh, I've got a nectar credit card, an Amex nectar credit card. If you're looking for a referral, please let me know. We can both get some bonus points there. Um, But from January to December, we save up all our points. and We just don't spend them at all throughout the year. And then when it comes to December time, uh, we go to Sainsbury's and we order all of our Christmas meal from there. So uh, it's a really handy way to do it. And if you're looking for some cheats on Christmas, they put all the timings and everything on it. So it works really well. Um, so, but in that is probably our most indulgent meal of the year. It's the one time where we'll probably actually have three courses in the house. Uh, and so this year, just to let you know what we had, so we actually had some like salmon and prawns to start with, and that's not very me. If anyone knows me, that's just not me. Uh, and so then we had the turkey dinner with all the trimmings, and then we had like a, a millionaire's cheesecake to, to finish off, which was fantastic. It really was. There was something really indulgent about the meal. It took a lot of planning into it, and we loved it. There's something indulgent about our Christmas meals. It's not nibbling on some little snacks. It's not just having something small in the afternoon. It's indulgent. And our fasts, our feasts on God should also be indulgent And just like that Christmas meal, it's going to need some planning on what you're going to do in that time. So I hope, you know, at some point in the future, you'll think about fasting. And you'll think about how that can be an indulgent feast. You'll put some planning into it of like, what scripture are you going to focus on in that time? Are you going to read a large chunk of scripture and try and get the whole narrative that's going through? Or are you going to read just just a few verses and really meditate on them? Are there some books that you've been keen to read that are going to show you more of God's glory and his character and what it means to follow him? Are you going to read those? How are you going to spend time in prayer? Time in silence with God. Getting rid of all the distractions around and just being you and him. How are you going to worship him in that time? Are you going to go out into the countryside? Getting away from it all and just seeing all that God has made. Fasting 
should be an indulgent feast that brings joy and strength. When we think of fasting, don't let those negative things, don't think, oh, my stomach's going to rumble for that whole time. Think on who you are going to be feasting on. Secondly, how is fasting a means of grace? Because it leads us into deeper worship of God. There's a new Frontiers pastor called Phil Moore. He's down in London. He's written a few articles um, on fasting, and you can find them on the Think Theology website. And he speaks of how motives matter, especially when it comes here. He suggests that we may struggle with fasting because we approach it from the point of view of, what good is it for me? And if we're not convinced or satisfied with the answer, we don't engage with it. Fasting does help us, but primarily fasting is about worshiping God. In Luke chapter 2, we read about Anna in the temple, uh, and that's a passage um, that Harley shared with us uh, as we went through our Advent series. In Luke chapter 2, we read, she did not depart the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna worshiped with fasting. Fasting is not an add-on to prayer. It's not hitting the turbo button on prayer. It's not prayer with Red Bull. Fasting is in itself worship. As we fast, we are following the expectation that Jesus has, therefore being obedient, and we are delighting in him. So when we fast, we worship him through a few ways. We worship him through our humility. As we fast, we are expressing our weakness and his greatness. We take time and remember that he is our provider, that he is sovereign over all things, that the world keeps ticking even when we stop. And it's a demonstration of our surrender to God. Phil Moore says, as we recognize his greatness and our weakness, fasting is a God-given corrective to the pride that can rise up in our lives. As we humble ourselves, we worship him through recognizing our deep need of him. We come with thankfulness in our hearts for Jesus and all that he has done. How he has rescued us from darkness and to glorious light by his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. And we look forward to the day when we will sit in his perfect presence and enjoy the marriage supper of the Lamb. As we fast, we worship and humbly say, he is all that I need. Fasting is not about rejecting the many good things that God has given us, and that John Piper quote mentioned that. But it is saying that God is better. We are so thankful for the many blessings that God has showered upon us that we probably all too quickly take for granted. But in fasting, we're saying that God is of first importance. We worship him by displaying that he is enough. He is what we hunger and thirst for. He is our all in all. And he is our ultimate source of life. Andrew Murray says fasting helps to express, to deepen, and confirm the resolution that we are ready to sacrifice anything, to sacrifice ourselves to attain what we seek for, 
the kingdom of God. We worship him by saying that he is greater than anything else in this world. And fasting doesn't just need to be food, although that is what I think we typically think on and it's what we see in scripture. But I think it can be many other things. It can be TV, it can be sports, it can be video games, it can be technology. Fasting can then show us some of the things that we might have an unhealthy attachment to in our lives. The things that maybe monopolize our time more than we care to admit. Those things that have a bigger stronghold than we are maybe even aware of. As we recognize those things, we are given an opportunity in fasting to lay them down or to restructure how we use them, and to choose to focus on God instead. This act of sacrifice and surrender is again a deep part of our worship. And fasting is a part of our worship as it expresses our deep desire to know him more. Paul, in the book of Philippians in chapter 3, says, in these words, you'll, you'll know them, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. As my children, sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes when they choose to spend time with me over the other things that they could do, that brings me joy. And so, my kids love to play games. Like, Rory loves playing with his, he loves playing top trumps at the moment. If you ever come around to the house, he'll want a game of top trumps. Uh, and Zoe, she loves playing in a room and reading books and that. And, and they have so many things to do. Um, but when they choose not to do any of those things, and they come and they seek me out and they want to spend time with me. And so one of the games that my kids have made up um, that we love to play together is called Crocodile Crocodile. And so I have to lie on the floor and pretend to be a crocodile and they have to try and walk around me and I try and snap them up and tickle them in that. So when they choose to come and play those things with me, to spend time with me, it brings so much joy. And when we say to our Heavenly Father that we want to know him more than anything else in this world, that we want to spend that, that time with him, that we want to set aside so many other things and just be with him, I think that brings pleasure to our Father's heart. Fasting is a means of grace because it leads us to deeper worship. Thirdly, how is fasting a means of grace? Because it demonstrates our desire to hear from God. In Ascent, uh, we're currently going through the book of Acts. And this evening, uh, we're looking at how Paul and Barnabas began their missionary journeys. Uh, so it actually worked pretty well. So, so Acts 13 this morning, and I get to look at Acts 13 again this evening. Uh, and so I'm just going to read um, that passage again. So this is Acts 13, verses 1 through 3. Uh, now, uh, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manning, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and prayer, they laid hands on them and sent them off. 
In this text, we come across a pivotal time for the church and for you and for me. What resulted from this moment was the church being born in Europe. This is where Paul and Barnabas were sent from. This is where a big decision needed to be made. And that group that met spent time worshiping and fasting. It doesn't say for how long, but they recognized that they needed a revelation from the Holy Spirit to direct them forward. And I think what we see in these few verses um, is what is spoken of in Jeremiah 29, verses 12 and 13. There it says, Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. The Holy Spirit responded by making clear the path before them. We see in that passage, I think that they were desperate to hear from God. And they sought him with all of their hearts. They wanted to make good, godly decisions. They wanted to know the will of the Lord. They wanted to walk obediently with God and were desperate for him to reveal his plans to them. This was not about the act of fasting, but it was about how, that, how, how fasting it enabled them to posture themselves before God and declare their need for the Spirit to come and speak. It's not a direct equation of fasting equals hearing the voice of God. But fasting does enable us to have an attitude of humility and reliance. And for that to grow within us. And I believe God loves it when we approach him like that. And lastly, how is fasting a means of grace? Because it can be used to prepare us for what God has called us to. As I said, it starts in Matthew chapter 4. We read of how Jesus was led into the desert by the Holy Spirit, where he fasted for 40 days and nights. After the 40 days, Jesus was then tempted three times by the devil, and in each of them, Jesus was victorious. In this passage, we find the best reason for why we should fast. Jesus did it. That probably could have been the sermon. (laughs) If it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me and you. But as I said at the start, it's good for us to wrestle with the why. When we know more of the why, that is when it becomes a bigger part of our lives, of where we have that positive attitude to it. But on that passage in Matthew chapter 4, the guy Sam Storms that I mentioned earlier, he says, Have you ever paused to reflect on the eternal consequences of what transpired in the wilderness of Judea those 40 days? Heaven and hell hung in the balance. Had Jesus wavered? Had he faltered? Had he balked? All hope of heaven would have been dashed on the very rocks with which the enemy tempted him. Of the dozens of things Jesus might have done to withstand this temptation, he is led by the Spirit to fast. Fasting was how Jesus prepares for those encounters and for his three years of public ministry before going to the cross. In Acts 13, after Paul and Barnabas had heard the Spirit direct them, they fasted again in preparation. 
In Acts 14, we read of these men committing new elders in the church of Lystra with prayer and fasting. Fasting was how they prepared for that specific calling God had placed on their life. Our lives are a time of constant ministry. Whether you are at the school gate, if you're in school, if you're in university, college, if you're at work, if you're at home with your neighbors, if you're playing football, in each and every single one of those places, we are on mission. How do we prepare for those times? Jesus prepared by fasting. Should we be? Have you considered doing like fasting before starting out on a new venture? Starting a new ministry? Moving to a new job or moving to a new town? Going into a new season of life or maybe any other significant decision? Have you considered how a life, sorry, a lifestyle fast or a time of fasting or feasting on God is what we should be doing to prepare us for whatever the devil might then throw at us. When you step out in ministry, the devil will not be happy and he will look to distract and he will look to damage you. We need to be prepared for those battles. Fasting prepares us for what God has called us to and prepares us for those battles. As I mentioned earlier, I'm just talking about a couple of practical points. Um, when we're reading about fasting in Scripture, it is time and time again that we, we see food is the thing that is fasted. Um, and the times that I have done it, um, I have done a food fast, but the one that probably actually was the one where I felt I feasted most was when I fasted from TV. Uh, and so I think I did it for about three or four days. Um, but it really did show to me how much time I I spent watching TV and how much time I could actually, well, I could do something better with it. And so when you're thinking about fasting, please do think about the different areas in your life and maybe the places in your life where it could be redeemed. Um, Fasting food is not for everyone as well. If you're pregnant or if you have some medical conditions associated with food, then fasting from food is probably not the best option. So please do think about it and don't think of it as there's levels of fasting of food is the top level and TV is level four. Don't think about that. Think about the principles that we've spoken about uh, this morning and as long as we're feasting, as we're worshiping, as we're desperate to hear from him, that's a feast on God. That is a fast. Remember, it's not about what you fast from, it's who you feast on. And if you do decide to do a fast from food, make sure you build up to it. Don't just jump in straight away and say, right, I'm going to do what Jesus did. I'm fasting for 40 days. I really don't want to see you all visiting Craig Brown and A&E because you've all fainted at some point. So, so please be wise about how you do that. Start with something small and work your way up and find what works well for you. But be intentional about it. And I think that's one of the things that and I know intentional is a word that we, we feel like we throw out a lot at the moment, but I think it's a good word. And I think that's what I probably missed when I spoke in this four years ago, is that afterwards I was not as intentional about it as I needed to be. 
for those feasts, I wasn't making plans for them. I wasn't thinking, oh, this is the rhythm that I need to get into. I need to start small here. I need to try and do this, try and do that. So we need to be intentional about it. Fasting is a means of grace. Fasting has been given to us by God, not as something to do just for the sake of it, but because God knows that it is good for us and because it will lead to the worship of his glorious name. It's by his grace that he has established this so that we can have times where we intensely pursue him, where we can enjoy that feast. It's been given as a gift as it leads us to greater depth of worship. It leads us to humility, to maybe examine the idols that are in our life. It leads us to call on God as Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, as greater than anyone or anything in this world. Fasting is a demonstration of our desire to hear from him and prepares us for what God has called us to. Fasting is a means of grace. My prayer is that we would all continue to wrestle with the why we are called to fast. And in doing so, we'd allow the Holy Spirit to impress upon our hearts how this can become a part of our worship, corporately and privately. That we would see that it is a blessing to us. We would see how it draws us closer to God and is not just something to tick a box on or just to do because the church has suggested it but because we know that it is a means of grace. Four years ago, when I came to the end of the sermon, I asked the question, Jesus says, when you fast, so when are you going to? And I still think that's a good question to ask, but I'm actually going to give you a suggestion on it. So last Thursday, and we spoke about it in the notices, and Mike highlighted it as well. For the last week in January, we're calling the whole church to a week of prayer. Uh, and so next week, probably, probably next Thursday, we'll send out something giving suggestions on what each day could look like uh, for you. Uh, and at the end of that, we're going to finish with an evening of worship and prayer. But as part of that, I'd like to suggest to you, why not make fasting a part of that? Why not today go and look at what your, your schedule looks like for that week and say, okay, on that day or for that time, I think I can do something there. I think I can do something different to what the rest of the week will look like. I think I can set aside that time to feast on God. Have a look at it. Start preparing for it now. Consider how you can feast on him. Plan your indulgent feast and enjoy that means of grace in that week. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your incredible gifts that you give to us. Thank you so much for Jesus and all that he has done. That he is the way, the truth, and the life. That he has opened up the way for us to be with you. That because of what Jesus has done, that we can be a saved people. And not only saved, but your children. 
and not just children, but we are called as co-heirs with Christ. Father, we thank you that you have given us this gift of fasting and so that in those times that we can just gaze at your glory, that we can wonder at your incredible gift of salvation, that we consider your greatness, how you have flung stars into space, that you have made each and every single one of us, that you know each and every single one of us, You know what brings us joy. You know what brings us sadness. You know all things. So Father, I pray that you would fill us with awe and wonder and that we would want to spend these times of feasting on you. Those indulgent times when we spend time desiring to hear more from you, hear your voice speaking clearly to us, that we can spend those times humbling ourselves before your throne, saying that you are the greatest and that I need you. Father, as we think of fasting, would we continue to wrestle with the why and would we always see because it brings God glory and it is good for us. Father, I do pray that it is something that we would be intentional about that later on today that we would consider how can this be something that I do in a couple of weeks' time and and beyond that? How can this be something that becomes a part of the regular part of my worship to my King, to my God? And so, Father, we say that we need your help. If this is a good thing, God, we need your help and we want to embrace it fully. So would you help us by the power of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.